So I gave you a lot of time because everybody in the room is a lot of people, so you got to... Okay, whatever, great. going to be a good crowd this morning, I can tell already. Uh, you guys are a bunch of slackers. That's what you are. You're welcome. Uh, if you ordered a hat, uh, pick it up, will you? Uh, we have some hats left that people have ordered and haven't picked up yet. So if you don't pick up your hat today, uh, a lot of other people wanted to buy them, so we're going to start selling your hats to other people if you don't pick them up for my people. Woo! That's right. I'm cracking the whip. That's how that works. Uh, if you're going snowboarding with us on Friday, you'll get a call or an email this week. We're probably going to end up meeting here between 4 and 4.30 in the morning. I really hope I am not driving. Because usually when we do this, I'll get up and I'll sleep there. And then I'll sleep home too. So I hope I don't drive either way, but that'll be good. Uh <laughs> The, the, first, the first Sunday in May, we are doing baptism, so if you would like to get baptized and you've been thinking about it for a while, there's a sign-up sheet in the back. We'll get in touch with you, talk to you about baptisms and how that all works. Baptisms, they're a lot of fun. They're a lot of fun. We, get every, we invite everybody to come. We go to a pool that's a really nice pool, not like, oh, I bought one at Walmart for a buck, and it's, you know, we all get in and we're like, oh, great. You know, it's, it's a nice pool. It's, it's in a nice place. We, we actually feed you guys food. We get together. It's a big party. So if you want to get baptized at a party, sign up in the back. We'll get you baptized. Why don't you guys stand with me for reading to God's Word? For those of you who want to memorize verses in the Bible, I'm going to give you a great, easy memory verse. This is Psalm 95, verse 3, and it says, For the Lord is the great God. All right, let's pray. <laughs> Father, we thank you so much for being a great God and revealing yourself to us so that we can know you. Uh, we ask that our lives reflect the goodness of who you are and how you call us to live. Amen. Have a seat. We are in the book of Ephesians. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, you can grab one in the back. They're free. Take one home with you. Uh, we'd love to give you one. But we're in the book of Ephesians chapter 4 is where we're at today. I'm going to jump right in because I've got a lot of stuff to cover. Uh, so far in the book of Ephesians, what we've seen is that there is one God. This God exists as a trinity, Father, Son, and Spirit. So we've seen that there is one God. Then we see that what the plan of God is, is to make a people for himself. In Ephesians 1.14, it says the redemption of those who are God's possession. And then we see that God's desire for that people. Ephesians 2.10 says, For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. The way we do those good works is by Ephesians 5.1, being imitators of God. There's a whole lot of information. Just go with it. We'll be good with this. Uh, and so we also saw that the problem is sin and the answer is Jesus. We commit sin against each other. We commit sin against God. The wage for sin is death, but Jesus dies for our sin, conquering death, taking away our sin, and we can now be reconciled, reconciled, meaning we can be connected again to God and other people by what Jesus did. This is all in relation to God who has saved us. So what it essentially means to be a Christian is we trust in Jesus exclusively for our redemption, his life, for our death, his resurrection on our behalf, and we can truly be connected to God and other people again. You're like, that'd be great. Just do that every week, and we can say amen, and we'd all be done, right? And walk out the door, yay, it's the best sermon ever. Paul, boy, you guys are a tough crowd today. Okay, so you should be like, yes. <laughs> I, mean, I love this church. It'd be wonderful. <laughs> Yeah, so what Paul does, he started last week and he begins this transition into all the theology that he talked about into now what is our response supposed to be? What does this look like, look like as a life of service and praise? So our primary duty, if you're in Ephesians 4, actually just go back two verses to Ephesians 3.20 because that's where he starts. 
He says, Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. God is seeking glory. God is seeking glory. I told you if you came on Christmas Eve that the word the Hebrew used for glory is the word kavod. Isaiah has a vision in Isaiah 6.3 and the angels are sitting around and they're singing, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of His glory. The Hebrew word there is the word kavod. It means weight or significance. That the whole earth is full of the weight and the significance of who God is. Hebrew prophets were deeply influenced by the understanding that the entire earth is drenched in the presence of God. Psalm 24 verse 1 says, The earth is the Lord and Lord's and everything in it. Psalm 139, verse 7 says, Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? Now, on Easter, we're actually going to cover a whole lot of what this means, and it'll be a lot of fun. We'll spend a lot of time with that. But what I really want you to get as we go along today is that in the ancient Jewish worldview, God is not somewhere else. God is right here. It is his world. He owns it, and he is present everywhere within it. Sometimes you hear people tell these stories like, Oh, these terrible things happened, and then God showed up. It's like God, like God was somewhere else, and then he decided to show up. No, it's not God that shows up. It's us that shows up. God is always there. God is not somewhere else and then decides to show up. He is always present, always present. For the ancient Jews, again, the world is soaked in the presence of God. The whole earth is full of his kavod, full of his glory. As believers, our lives are supposed to know and feel the weight of his presence most significantly. We're supposed to show that in how we live. He is to be most precious and most weighty. And so we should not worship anything other than God. Not yourself, not your money, not your home, uh, not the Lakers, you know, nothing. God, that's it. And so he starts this calling about God's glory right there in Ephesians, at the end of Ephesians 3, and it goes into Ephesians chapter 4 like this, Ephesians 4, 1. As a prisoner for the Lord, then, this is Paul, he is in jail, as a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you, and the word urge in the Greek means to beseech or beg. Okay, so he's beseeching and, and begging as we like to beseechest thou. Like that. As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Okay, so here's the question. What's the calling? I just told you. Bring glory to God. God's glory. That is the calling on upon, upon our lives. Bring God glory in all days and all ways and how we live and what we do and all, everything that he gives us and all the ways that we live. God has also given us a family name and this family name is also supposed to glorify him. The family name that we go by now is the word Christian and we should make that name great and not bring disgrace upon it as so many in the past have actually done. Uh, it's like, you know, this is what's really interesting. Today, family names aren't really that big of a deal. Uh, you know, you go back even 30, 40 years ago, and it's like, oh, I want to have a son to carry on my family name. Family names were always a big deal. In Scripture, family names are very important. The, this, your family name be carried on so people would know who your family were. The, the glory, the weight and significance of your family would be carried on by that family name. Uh, it's like uh, Kevin. Okay, so this is Kevin Terrell on the back. Wait, hi, Kevin, as I pick somebody up. Okay, so he's got a couple, couple boys, all right? And so, and so what, he, what he needs to do to his boys is like, I want you to carry on my family name. This should be very important. So when he sees them as little kids out in the backyard picking up dog poop or eating bugs, he'd be like, you don't eat bugs and pick up dog poop with your bare hands. You know, you're Terrell boys. You're supposed to... We pee in the toilet and we don't eat bugs and dirt. And you, you know, because, oh, I'm a, I'm a Terrell boy. I need to do the right things. 
That's what it's supposed to be like when we think about the family name of God. We need to be doing the things that glorify God and not be, metaphorically, you know, eating bugs and picking up poop with our hands, if that works. God is our Father. He has given us a name, and we are to live lives reflecting that, that greatness of who He is. So Paul talks about how we do this. Now, he talks about this as it comes down to this word called character. Now, character is not a word that is valued today. I mean, you can kill someone in a lake and still be elected to Congress. You can kill your wife and drive your white Bronco down the freeway, and people will still love you because character really doesn't matter today. People don't care about the means. They only care about the ends. You know, as long as you're a good golfer, it really doesn't matter what you do. You can steal. I said it. (laughs) You can steal. You can cut corners. As long as you produce, people don't really care. But God does care. God cares about our character and what we do. God just doesn't care about the end result. He cares about how we actually get there. So Paul says this. Verse 2, he says, be completely humble. We could spend a month just talking about that. I won't. You're welcome. But we could because I can go on for a while. Nobody values humility today. We like pride. We like self-esteem and and self-help. And we worship ourselves. We love ourselves. Yet in Scripture, it tells you Satan got kicked out of heaven for pride, for pride. Augustine actually said that the root of all sin is pride. So we love ourselves more than we love our God or our brothers and sisters in Christ. We want to do what we want to do, and it doesn't matter what anybody else says. I'll give you a definition for pride. Pride is the filling of yourself with yourself. Humility is the emptying of yourself and filling yourself with Christ. It is one of the reasons in Ephesians he tells you over 30 times to be in Christ. Ephesians 3.19 just told us that you may be filled to the measure of the fullness of God. We are not just to be about all of our own desires. And as a strong person, you can give certain things up to make sure that God is glorified. Just like Jesus, who by grace we imitate. Jesus is unparalleled humility. He comes as a man. He is tempted in every way that we are, yet is without sin. At one point, well, actually many times throughout his lives, people make fun of his mom and dad. You know, oh, your, your mom is the town slut that got knocked up and then told Joseph, who was the town idiot, that it was God who knocked her up and he married her anyway. Your parents are stupid. We would call down fire from, we like El Scorcho, right there. It'd be like done. Like, boom, we'd be like, feel totally vindicated. But Jesus doesn't do that. Jesus, at the end of his life, he is beaten, hated, scourged, and killed. Yet in Luke 23, 34, he prays, Father, forgive them. Unparalleled humility. Jesus was the most humble in his kingdom. He is the most exalted. We are to be people who think about God and others more than ourselves. It says be completely humble and gentle. Humble people are gentle. Now, a lot of times when guys hear the word gentle, they think, oh, I've got to be like, oh, how are you doing? That's not what I'm saying. Guys can be guys. You know, I'm not trying to make you into women. Okay? Be a dude. Shoot guns. Punch people. I don't know. Whatever you do. Okay? Be guys. And, but what it means is that gentle people, we don't just lash out at others. You know, we realize everybody has issues. If you struggle with gentleness in your life, then your problem is not with gentleness. Your problem is with pride. Your problem is with pride because you worship yourself and everything around you becomes an affront to you. You lose sight of everyone else on the planet except for yourself. He says you must be humble and gentle. And then he says be patient. This is all about character. And patience is so hard. I talked about this last week forever, all about patience. You You can get on a plane today and go anywhere on the planet in like 24 hours. You can order anything online and get it in a couple days from like exotic nuts to a spouse. 
which I guess could... Never mind. <laughs> Not going there, right? Okay. So you can download information in seconds. Uh, our cell phones can get you information. My wife and I were watching Lost last week. You know, and, and Matthew Fox, have you never seen Lost? He's like the dude. Came, okay, so he's, he's walking, and I go, man, he looks tall. I wonder how tall he is. My wife pulls out her iPhone, boom, IMDb, da, da, da. he's six foot two. I'm like, holy cow. So, and we have information at our fingertips. The big eat the small, the fast eat the slow. Patience is obliterated in our culture. Anybody drive a car? You get behind somebody that, that shouldn't be driving a car? All of us, all, all the time. Do you feel like the speed limits are a series of bad suggestions that they post on the side of the road? <laughs> you, you ever come to a roundabout and go, why don't people just go? Just, why do you stop? It's not a, roundabouts are not a stop sign, okay? <laughs> Real, you just keep going. If you got 10 feet, you can get your car in there. <laughs> Buy a big car, you won't be afraid of anything. You pull it anywhere you want to go. Old and beat up, it's a good car. It, Congress, uh, Side note, Congress is talking about, we need more roads, need more roads and stuff like that. Well, you know, we don't need more roads. We need IQ tests for drivers. Yes. There are only six of us on the road anyway. Be good. So do you yell at your computer when it starts to download stuff and it kind of, you know, the progress bar gets halfway and you like turn to the exorcist, your head spins around, you start spewing stuff everywhere. Patience traces all the way back to pride. I am more important than you. You need to get out of my way. 2 Peter 3.9, Peter says, Some people think God is slow, but God is patient. People are like, Well, Jesus died and rose 2,000 years ago. Why hasn't he obliterated all the evil people yet? Well, because you are an evil person, and he deemed to save you. If he wasn't patient, you wouldn't even be saved. He is patient. He is a good God. He knows people take time. One of my favorite... Uh, pastors. His name is John Piper. John Piper has been at his church for years. And I love pastors like that because they're just slow and steady. Good times, bad times, small, big. They just keep going slow and steady. Uh, I have a friend who was not a Christian. Uh, I've been talking to him like 15 years about Christ. And sometimes I think he's just ready to get it. And then I'm like, ah, oh well. But it's slow and steady. I just keep going. God has been patient with us. We need to be patient with other people. We keep sinning. We keep going totally crazy. God keeps bringing us back and loving us like a gracious dad. God is amazing. And so all this patience then leads to bearing with one another in love. We may be pains in each other's backside, but we, we learn and grow by being pains to each other. Isn't that wonderful? Maybe you say, I can't stand that Aaron. He's just crazy. You get, up to put, you get to put up with me and grow in Christ. I'm doing a great service to you by being as annoying as I am. <laughs> you're, you're very welcome about that. Uh, if you're married or, or have friends, you know that at times you have to put up with each other. I tell you, in my marriage, I, I have the, the better deal on this because my wife's usually pretty sweet and great. If I had to put up with me, if there's like another one of me, one of us would have to die. Okay? <laughs> Patient people, they put up with each other. And you will never be patient unless you seek to understand who Christ is. We have to know who Jesus is. You bearing with another, another, one another in love, humility, gentleness, patience. None of it comes apart from love. None of it. You, you love, love comes from God to God's people so that we would then share it with other people. And if you struggle with humility and gentleness and patience and bearing with others, you probably spent too much time focusing on yourself and not enough time steeping in the love of God like a tea bag steeps in tea, in water, to make it tea. Because when we do steep in God, then we get transformed from the inside out. That's how God gets glorified. 
then our lives begin to live transformed and connect to other people. Uh, you do need a personal relationship with Jesus, but you also need a corporate relationship with God's people. Again, sin separates people from people and people from God. It creates intense individuality, and God makes unity between himself and others and between people again. God makes a community called the church by grace. Uh, verse 3 in chapter 4 goes like this. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body, that's the church, one Spirit, that's the Holy Spirit. Just as you were called to one hope when you were called one Lord, that's Jesus, one faith, that's Christianity, one baptism, that's conversion, one God and Father over Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. He just told you that God in himself is a community. The concept of the Trinity is Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Distinct but they're unified to the degree that they are one God. One God. And they share all attributes in harmony and in common. And God's desire for us is to be a people who are distinct, who have our own likes and our own tastes, yet not divided, that we would be one body, one church, one people. You know, when we operate that way, we are essentially doing Trinitarian theology. We are living what the Bible says. John says in, uh, Jesus says in John 13, 35, By this all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. See, we don't even have to like each other. We don't. Nowhere in Scripture does it tell you you've got to like somebody. You're commanded to love people around you. And that is God's power. Because when we submit to God, we will become more humble and patient and gentle and loving and bearing with others, especially when they are unbearable. Uh, unity is not something we strive for. Unity is what Paul tells us we already possess. We are to strive to maintain that unity that he already gives us. And we are not unified because we are all the same. We are unified because of our love for Christ. That is why we are unified. Jesus died for our sins, rose according to the scriptures, and all people who trust God are in the family of God. There may be differences. You know, there may be Lutherans and Nazarenes and some Catholics and like Bapticostals and that's, I call them that, you know, Baptist speaking tongues. It's like, my, okay, whatever. Uh, you know, all kinds of different things in there. You know, but, it, but we don't have any division. No division in these. It's, it's okay for distinctions, but no divisions. The goal is not unity. The goal is what? Told you at the beginning. The glory of God. That is the goal. That is the goal. If we only, if the goal becomes unity, what we're going to do is we're going to throw away uh, all of our theology will take everybody from every religious perspective. We'll pray to the great sky fairy in the sky throughout theology and totally miss the point of who God is. We are to be unified in Christ because God needs to be glorified. And that's one of the questions we should ask ourselves a lot of times. Does this glorify God? Is this bringing God glory? Again, if it's only unity the, and, and unity becomes our goal, we will sacrifice God's glory and we will tolerate all kinds of crazy stuff. We don't tolerate bad theology to be unified because holiness and truth and the glory of God is what binds us. That is what binds us. If we seek God's glory, we will have unity among us. If you seek God's glory before your own glory, you'll be unified to those around you because you won't be so concerned about, oh, they really offended me. It is God's glory first. I am concerned about His, and I am not first. Other people are even second. I'm last. That means we seek God corporately, but distinctly as a unified people. And God is glorified when we have this character that reflects who He is, a community that reflects God's unity. And one of the ways that God does this is God gives us gifts as people in His church. 
uh, and, and we glorify God by using the gifts that he gives us. Verse 7 says this, But to each one of us grace has been given as, a por- as Christ apportioned it. The Greek word here is the word charisma. It's used for service and spiritual gifts. God's grace is the ability to serve. You'll see more about this in the next couple of weeks, what this all looks like. But God has intimate awareness of our needs as a city, as a state, as a nation, and especially as a church body. And so he has a portion gift to certain people for certain needs. We all have gifts. I'll just give you a couple. Uh, we have a gift of, somebody has a gift of administration. I don't have this gift. Okay? I wish I did, but I don't. Administrators come in and they bring all kinds of order out of chaos. We love these people. Because I create a mess and I'm like, okay, fix it. You know, it's, it's wonderful. You have encouragers. These are people who come alongside other people and encourage them to keep walking the road even when it gets hard. You have some people who are teachers. They love to impart information in a way you can understand, hopefully, usually. Uh, you have leaders. You know, leaders love to take people towards tasks and goals, you know, the where they need to go. Wisdom. Uh, this is the gift where, where you can come alongside and actually explain somebody how to live practically what is said in the scriptures. Serving. Uh, we, we are all called to serve as people. You know, but some people have a special gift in serving. It's like, you know, they give like 10000 for 10000 They're just like amazing people. I wish I had this gift too, but I don't. <laughs> uh, all of these gifts, they're all appointed by Christ. And no one should ever tell you in the church what gift you're supposed to have or need because that's the Spirit's job. Some people are like, oh, I want a really good gift so I can be really important. That's pride. We are people who should simply say, you know, it's up to you, God. You give me what gift you need because you know what's best for your people. It is simply being faithful to the call that God has given us. And you will see other places where Paul actually says that the reason God gives gifts is for building up the body of Christ, for maintaining the unity and the glory of God that we are supposed to maintain. So this is the theology of the church, okay? Very practically, God has reconciled us. He has brought us together. He has made us so we can walk in Christ-like character, unified as a people to God's glory. And so a lot of people say, well, what does that look like then? What does that look like? Because we can all agree in principle. You know, this is good. We should do this. Be unified people. The church should stop fighting in itself. And people should, you know, do the right thing. James 1.22 says, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. You do what it says. We have a tendency to hear a lot of scripture. Immature people don't put it into practice. Mature people actually do. So I'm going to take you just for a couple moments. You have a Bible. You can probably close it at this point, And I'll just talk at you for a little bit like I do anyway, you know. And you, if, you, if you've been around a while, you've probably heard some of this before. Don't tune me out. Go with me. Uh, in 2010, you know, where are we going a, as a church? Uh, we want to participate with God in connecting people to God and Jesus and other people. Um, you know, a couple of years ago, God starts laying this really crazy thing on my heart through some friends of mine and through prayer about planting this church called Element and doing this thing. I mean... We've never started a church. We don't know what to do. You know, I think God does this. God chooses people who have no clue what they're doing. So if it works, he gets all the glory. It's like a four-foot center on a basketball team, right? You know, if you win, you know it wasn't the center, right? That's, that's, how, that's how we are. That, that, that's us. Uh, so you know, some people go, well, how's your church going? I'm like, it's not my church. It is Jesus. Jesus is the chief shepherd. I'm merely an under-shepherd. It's all his. If anything goes good, it's his. When it's bad, it's usually me. Okay, so if anything good, it, it's all him. I, I, I gather some guys around me that I really trust. You know, Tom and Eric, they become elders. And, you know, David and John and Doug, Mike, you know, they, they become these, these deacons. Uh, you know, and so, like, where do we do this thing? And we end up in an old car dealership of all places. I mean, how's that? You know, fire trucks screaming by, planes taking off. We have a planning meeting here. What element was, was going to be, you know, a couple of years ago. Sixty people show up for it. So we go, oh, this is going to be cool. So we do our first gospel class. Like, 35 people show up. We're like, 
okay, you know, we'll just we'll just keep going. And so we, we have this, this planning, you know, what, what it's going to look like. We start the gospel class. We have like rubble and broken walls and trash and mold and debris, broken heaters. It's cold in here. Again, about 35 people show up. Those 35 people turn into 40 or 50. Most stay and give their money and their time and their energy and make this into a usable environment. Uh, we eventually buy chairs. When people first came, we didn't even have chairs. You had to bring your own chair to come and sit in this room. And I know our chairs are not the greatest chairs. James and I, a couple weeks ago, were at my nephew's Eagle Scout ceremony. And it was at another church. And we walked in and we sit down. And the first thing we were like, hey. <laughs> I'm like, they're, they're comfortable. You know, the, the, the clamps that hold them together are like steel. They're not like the little tin on the side of these chairs. They're like a couple of rednecks living indoors for the first time. We're like, wow. <laughs> so amazing. <laughs> we got... We got some speakers, and people made breakfast and lunch every single week as we were cleaning this place. And we finally got curtains and lights and projectors and soundboards. And new people started coming here. The the gospel, just people's lives started changing. People giving their lives to Jesus. Uh, sometimes I hear about it. Sometimes I don't. I, six months ago, we're we're playing softball, and I'm standing there before we were getting ready to hop on the field. And this lady goes, "What what church are you at?" And I said, "I go oh, Element." She goes, "Where's that?" And I go down there on the corner. And she goes, oh, "My nephew goes there." And I go, "Yeah." You know, and, and she goes, no, no. He said he would never go to church. And he started going to your, your church. And he calls me last week and he goes, hey, guess what? And I said, what? And he said, I gave my life to Jesus. And I go, yes. Tell him to tell me. You know? <laughs> I, I would like to know that. I, you know, fam- I've seen families be restored, broken lives come back together again. It's, it's amazing. You know, lives began to change. You know, that, that 40 or 50 in the first year grew to 190. The second year went from 190 to about 250. We had four services, knocked out the back wall, went back to three services. Thank God, because I was dying. We, we, even ha- we have a Sunday night service at 6.30. And honestly, I never know who's going to show up to that. It, we can have 20 people. We can have 80. It's like our smallest service. We have 20 or 80. We never know. Sometimes I feel like, you know, all those left behind people were right, and that, like the rapture happened. And I'm like the only guy there going, what's going on? I got left behind. Because <laughs> it's like, it's just me hanging out. I used to also think that churches didn't necessarily even need real estate. I, I actually, my, God's kind of changing my mind on this because if we're going to be uh, viable in our culture and our community, I think we do. I would actually love to buy the property we're sitting on right now. This would be a great piece of property to have, but it would actually probably cost us like 10 times what our rent is right now to actually buy it. Uh, but I'd love to have a place where we could build a counseling center and a food distribution center and a young men's recovery home. Uh, I'd like to actually build a place for concerts. We have like a concert venue. We can do like any type of shows, you know, like vegan, hardcore, straight edge, you know, something, you know, just all those crazy things. I, honestly, I, I want this property. But if you have real estate and you want to give it to us, we'll take it, you know, no problem. You know, I doubt, I honestly doubt there's going to be any type of sugar daddy that's going to walk through our doors and give us all kinds of money, you know, millions of dollars to, to buy it. But if you're a sugar daddy, welcome. We're glad to have you. <laughs> I, I, have, I have huge plans for what I think Element can do and be. I think our budget's lean. I think our economy really does suck. But you are called to be a faithful people. You are. And God is a good God. Uh, you know, I, I am still looking in the next you know, three to four years. I would really like to plant two more churches. Uh, I would like to help plant uh, an Hispanic church. You know, not like a lot of the ones that are planted. I want, I want some young guy who loves Jesus, grew up in the community, that drives around like a rider, you know, in a car with, you know, raiders on the back. You know, something that actually really, really connects to the community. Some young guy that actually can reach these young Hispanic guys. I would love to help plant a church. I've been praying for God to raise up the right guy for that. Uh, I'd love to help plant a church in Isla Vista. I got a guy I'm talking to right now that I, I'd love to help him plant a church there. I mean, I, I, I think this, 
We can do so much. I'm always excited about what God can do. You might pray, you pray for that. God will raise up the people to do those things. Where we're at at Element. Uh, right now, it takes about 50 volunteers to pull off a Sunday morning service. That's like more than we had a year and 10 months ago attending. So I think that's kind of cool. Uh, everyone is needed. This is why Paul says things like this. You stay humble. You stick together. That's how you get the, go- the job done. That's how you do it. Element, I think, maintains a great illusion for a lot of people. It looks like we know what we're doing, and it looks like we have money. And we don't have any money, and we don't know what we're doing. Part of this because I think our website looks great. We have great print materials, but those are mostly the work of like two to three people. You know, we have great artists and tech guys. That's what we got. You know, we don't spend twenty dollars to $100,000 on a website like a lot of churches do. We don't spend anything. Yay. It's all about, we're like, you ever see the Wizard of Oz? You get to the end of the Wizard of Oz, you know, when they pull back the curtain, you know, and who's the great odds? Like this short guy, and he's pulling levers. That's me, right? I'm that guy. You know, you, you would think like, oh, look at all the stuff in Oz. It's so great. No, it's just a guy pulling levers. Welcome to Element. That's how it works. We don't have an empire. You know what we have? You. That's what we have. We have you guys. We are entering a season, I believe, in Element where everyone will be vital to the growth and the reaching of our city with the gospel. Your participation is going to be completely necessary, not just for our growth, but for our survival. You know, this is, this is where Paul takes all this very practically today. Uh, you know, some people really like a church to remain small. It's like, oh, you know, I don't, want, I don't want it to get too big. Sometimes I feel like I do my best to keep it small. You know, have you heard me preach? You know, we're just, you know I, I tell you about Jesus. I usually offend somebody every single week and somebody doesn't come back. It's like, oh, I can't stand it. You're so mean. And I guess I am sometimes. You know, our air conditioner doesn't work. In the, you know, and it's hot in the summer. In the middle of the winter, you walk in, you're freezing. By the end of service, you're sweating. It's like, this, this is crazy. You know, airplanes take off, burnouts on the corner, uh, you know, fire trucks go by, accidents out here. We've got tiny bathrooms. You know, I don't know how to make it uh, less enjoyable. You know, it's for people not <laughs> to want to come. I mean, the only thing I can do, I can stand at the door and take an offering on the way in. Hey, you want a seat? <laughs> but churches should grow. Churches should grow. God shows up. God calls us to maturity as a people. And I want you to know that I think every person that comes to Element, I think every dollar you give, every ounce of energy that you give is all needed for growth. And I don't believe that God is going to give us what we need because I think God's already given us what we need and who we are. God is just calling us to step out as the people he calls us to be. The talents and gifts that you have is what will make Element be Element. You and I just need to do our part with the grace that God has given us. So I would ask you as a people to be in prayer for your church that you would ask God to show you how you can step in and, and how we can then reach our community doing things outside our walls, but also inside loving those who show up. Element is unique, I guess, according to a lot of people that I talk to. You're like, I've never been to a place like this. This is weird. You, know, you say things nobody else would say. I'm like, sometimes I don't mean to. It just comes out. I just, like a spouse and exotic nets. You know, it just kind of comes out that way. So. It, is, it is beyond us to get the good job done. That is why Jesus gives us the strength. And I promise you, I will do my part. I promise you, our deacons and our elders will do their part. Many of you are involved and you're doing your part. But if you are here and you think Element is your home, then it's time to stop observing and consuming and get to participating. You need to step into it. I have much hope for what God is going to do. I'll probably still buy some Rolaids, but you know, I, will, I have much hope. John Stott wrote this, and I thought I'd, I was actually just reading this this week, and 
it, seriously, I, it, I just, this went great. This is what he says. The church lies at the very center of the eternal purpose of God. It is not a divine afterthought. It is not an accident of history. On the contrary, the church is God's new community for his purpose, conceived in past eternity, being worked out in history, and be perfected in future eternity. It is not just to save isolated individuals and so perpetuate our loneliness, but rather to build his church that is to call out of the world a people for his own glory. The church. The church. So, you are the church. Welcome. Welcome. The gospel will go forward. God will get his glory through what we do and how we honor him. So this morning, I call you to honor him. This, we will worship God this morning through taking communion. Uh, communion is where you take that cracker and you break it. It reminds us of Christ's body, which is broken for us. You dip it in the wine of the grape juice, which reminds us of his blood that was shed for us, so that we can be this reconciled people this people who can now bring him glory because we can now be connected with our great God and Savior again and connected with other people. The band's going to come up and they're going to do a couple songs and you guys are invited to sing, to worship God in song through this. And as they play these songs, I also invite you to pray where you're at. God, you know, how do you want me involved? What do you want me to be doing? How can I bring you the most glory, not just at a church, but how can I bring you the most glory in all aspects of my life and how I live? We're going to worship God through giving. There's offering boxes in the side wall and in the very back, and we give simply because God gave so much to us. Giving is part of our worship, so we give to God. And we're going to worship God through fellowship, where you, as the church, get to get together and know each other better. If you're in a small group, I would invite you this week to ask that question. You know, How are we in our lives bringing glory to God by what we do? How are we being unified and not divided? You know, If I truly gave God all the glory in my life and sought His glory first, what kind of divisions between me and other people might be taken away and how might some relationships actually be restored because I'm seeking God's glory first and not my own? You know, these, these are all great questions, and I believe God is the one who has the answers. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for being such a great and good God to us that you not only would put us into relationship with you, but then you force us into relationship with other people again. And God, sometimes that is tough because people are crazy and we think we're not, but we all are. And so I ask that you would have us remember that it is not for our glory. It is for yours that we live this life and that you would be honored by the words that we begin to use this week as we come into contact with others by our actions and what we do and how we serve those around us God help us to truly be your people your church reflecting who you are and as you take us into the next season you have for us as a body, you would be most glorified by all that we do. Amen.